Thoth Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Hello friends and listeners and welcome to the 101st episode of the Thos Hermes podcast. No worries, I'm not going to count that way now. It is of course season 7 and episode 9 and it's just the first episode after our hundreds and I wanted to remind you for those of you who haven't yet seen Philip Cargom, I say seen yes because we did a video of that episode number 100 last week go there on youtube and you will be able to see me and philip in our talk i think it was quite a nice experience but here we are back in the audio version as usual and that will also of course be the future here it is sunday october the 24th 2021 and my name is Rudolf. I am your host on this show. Welcome back to all of you who are back here, who are regulars of the show, who have heard many of those previous episodes. And welcome to all of you who are new to the show. Uh, have a look around on our website, thoughtshermes.com. T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com. There you will find all the other 100 episodes and you can listen to them and view the show notes. Show notes talking about which show notes today are especially important because um, Oriel de Fenestrate Bascule or de Fenestrate Bascule, whatever you like to prefer in his pronunciation, you'll hear an explanation on that on the interview. Um, well, he has given me a number of links and uh, I put them all back there in the show notes. So have a look there because there might be some interesting follow-up to the interview that you're going to hear today on that website. ThosHermes.com is not only the show notes, it's also the possibility to give me some feedback. Feedback for this show uh, together with ideas. You can do that on the website either by the contact form which you find there but there's also the option for a voicemail on the website if you just want to stick with ordinary email that's fine with me too info at toshermes.com or go to facebook or twitter and leave me a message there in any case all your messages are really kindly received and welcome and uh, well, speaking about the website, this, as many other uh, podcasts, of course, lives by the support that it gets from its audience. Thanks to all of you who already are patrons of this show. Um, but to be honest, we have a highly increasing number each week of listeners, and I'm very glad about that. It would just be nice if there were also some better increase in the patrons. Um, it's really a small group of people who are very happily supporting our show and they do it for all of you out there. So consider going to the website and click on that Patreon button and become a patron starting from $1 per show. Honestly, I believe the show is worth it. 
Right. Okay, well, as you know, always on this show, we also do play some music. Well, the second and the third piece of music will be by our guest here today, by Oriel. But but the first, well, you hear me sigh, the first, yes, the first, um, uh, the first piece of music that I'm going to play for you, it's kind of a sad story because um, I wanted to play a piece of music in honor and remembrance of Andrea Haugen. Andrea Haugen, also known as Nebelhex, a wonderful musician from the dark ambient ritual neo-folk scene. She was, together with four other people, brutally murdered in a terrorist attack in Norway about 11 days ago on October 13. One more of those sad stories, and it's always horrible for everyone. And well, this time it hit somebody many of you out there probably have known and listened to. And I thought um, it would this time really be necessary to also make a statement and play a piece by Nabel Hexe, have her voice on this show, listen to her again. So without further ado, Nabel Hexe and her beautiful song Lagus Within the Lake.
Lagos Within the Lake by Nebel Hexe, Andrea Hogan's wonderful voice, rest in peace. When will the world come to peace finally? When will there be less of those horrible attacks? Well, you wonder sometimes because if even occultists who should know better keep quarreling across the internet towards each other as it happens over and over again and just last week i don't know why not even us we know better how will the world ever change forgive me my rant um, but i just felt it was necessary to think a bit more about how we could all calm a little bit down our egos and we occultists should know how to do that. Right, let's now meet Oriel de Fenestrate. Oriel, who is our guest here today. Well, a kind of long story that we have finally met because Oriel, well, I've known him for a while. Um, he was very briefly in an interview when we did that report on the Occulture Berlin 2019 show in December, two years ago. Ever since then, we had wanted to speak to each other here in an interview, but of course, that's not so easy part of the year. He lives in Australia and he, well, I have Australian guests. Uh, I will also have Australian guests uh, in two weeks again here. But um, as you can imagine, with the time difference between Europe and Australia, it is always a bit hard to find time. So as Oriel also lives partly in Europe, said, well, let's do it when you're back in Europe. Then COVID hit. Of course, nobody was able to leave Australia for quite some time. And uh, well, we never managed to get together. Then he finally came to Brussels, to, to Belgium um, a few weeks ago. We set something up and then all kinds of things happened. First, we had technical problems and then he had some major health problems. And you remember the technical problems even made me cancel one week a show here which has never happened before that two or three days before the show i had to cancel it because of those technical issues well finally finally we got together oriel and me and uh, well here he is today you might wonder why i'm not reading a text by oriel here today for the kind of intro to our talk well because oriel he reads two of his texts himself during the interview I think you're going to enjoy that. And when you hear that, you will see why I didn't do it, because he, I couldn't do it half as well as he does it. It's, of course, a very special kind of recitation and kind of almost singing his texts. Um, no, really enjoyed what he was doing. So um, you see what we should just do. We just, just go and meet Oriel. He is in Antwerp, finally, when we spoke. Um, the interview today is a few minutes longer than you're maybe used to. Um, and uh, that was really very nice. We had so many things to talk. But as usual, about half an hour into the interview, almost exactly half an hour into it, we will have our little musical break. And I'll come back to you then to announce what we are going to hear. So for the time being, let's now go and meet Oriel de Fenestrate Bascul. Here comes the interview. Well, 
I must say, finally, finally, we have here on the uh, recording of the Thought Hermes podcast, Oriel, Oriel de Fenestrate Bascule. I have no idea if I pronounced your name correctly, Oriel. I always say Oriel only. So you will help us with that in a minute. But Oriel, it's great to have you finally here on the show. Good evening. Good evening. Good to finally be here after all Absolutely. various Why sorts. are we saying all this finally stuff? Well, because A, of course, Oriel is, he is originally Australian, but he lives most of the time in Europe. But then at some point he was kind of um, locked in down there in Australia during the COVID pandemic. And we wanted to do it in Australia. But of course, with the time difference, that's always a bit tricky. And then he came to Europe and we set up a few dates. So we had technical problems. You guys who listen regularly to the show know that I had already announced him. And uh, then, well, finally, then there were some health issues. And finally, now Oriel is here. And I'm really glad that it now has worked out. So I hope you're feeling better now and, and that all is kind of well with you again, Oriel. Yes, absolutely. Good to finally be here. Great, great. Right. I mean, um, first, before I start asking you about your background, about all kinds of different things, um, a question that many people ask me when they hear me talk about you or when they read your name and your name comes up is what does your name mean? It's it's it kind of rings a certain number of bells. Uh, Oriel de Fenestrate Bascule, you, you please pronounce it your way. Um, and um, well, give us can you give us some explanation about your name? Absolutely. It's quite an interesting story, actually. Um, I got it progressively. Um, Oriel is the correct, correct pronunciation. Usually I, I say defenestrate bascule, which is the English versions of those words. They are obscure English words, but they're also of French origin. So I'm not actually sure. I imagine the French pronounce them a bit differently. And I've got mm. no problem with an Austrian pronouncing them a little bit differently. <laughs> I pronounce again. it in some kind of uh, Germanic Romanian way, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I, I love the diversity of European accents anyway. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, when I first got the name Ariel, um, I got it just for the, um, the vibration of it. Like I wanted a new name because I didn't like my, uh, my legal name, the name my parents gave me. This was like, uh, I don't know, more, probably more than 20 years ago now, but, um, I was at a festival. I was actually tripping and, um, I, I was just looking for a new name, but I didn't want it to be a, a conscious mental process. So I was basically just doing glossolalia. I was just like, oh, this and then eventually, oh, that's it. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so basically I was, I was looking for something that, felt right and sounded right like that was vibration sometimes also right like you find your magical name you do that kind of stuff yeah. as well right yeah well it, it, yeah well it, yeah, i mean it is my magical name but it's also yeah. the name the name i use uh um yeah because i i um I don't really want to make any differentiation between my magical self and, and my daily self. I want my entire life to be magic. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it was quite strange because I was at a festival. I was then running around telling my friends that my new name is Oriel until um, someone told me the, of an actual meaning 
for that. Um, it's another um, obscure English word from the French, strangely enough, because I had no idea um, back then that I'd be living in the French-speaking part of Belgium or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, the spelling of the actual word is different. It's O-R-I-E-L, whereas I got my specific spelling with the name, but the the sound is... Very similar, and um, yeah, O R I E L is a at is a window in an attic, um, mm-hmm. usually a round window, and um, yeah, it was very funny when I heard that soon after getting the name with you know on a more subconscious level because it very much resonated. Um, I've always loved. Um, uh, round things and O sounds and um, the attic is a place I really relate to as being a, a strange space full of spider webs and peculiar mm-hmm. objects. <laughs> and um, Is it yeah. those round windows that you find there, right? Yeah, they're, they're usually yeah. Um, they're, in Europe they're often... Um, sort of eye-shaped even. They exactly. Look like an eye. Yeah. And, and also I can hear, I believe even the French term comes originally from oreille, from, from, from the ear. And so there's even oh, really? the sound, the sound part in that, huh? in my, in my Thanks. honest opinion. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's another layer I wasn't aware of. There's a lot of yeah. them that I've gradually <laughs> discovered since taking the name. But um, yeah, that, so yeah, so that resonated, and um, I just had one name. I didn't bother with last name for years, and then um, one day at a time of my life when I was feeling like I'd been too much sort of in the strange attic of my own head uh, with all the cobwebs and and bizarre objects, um, and I, I was feeling like I wanted to to put stuff out into the world more, to interact more and and to put, you know, the strange ideas in my head and out into the world through art and performance and everything. And so this was at this time I was having this feeling that somebody told me this word I hadn't heard of before, which was defenestrate, which means to throw someone or something out the window. Mm -hmm. Um, So I immediately started rolling around on the floor (laughs) laughing. Ah, that's my last name. That's my last name. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. I was just, um, I was just uh, Ariel for a few years, and then I was Ariel de Fenestrate for a few years, and then it got to a point where I felt I oh I was also I realized my initials were then um, odd. And I didn't really like the idea of having the initials OD because <laughs> I'm not that into drugs, <laughs> but. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> much as many might think otherwise, but <laughs> I only use, use them very occasionally, actually. And, um, yeah, um, I wanted a – but I realized also it was odd, which is like uh, one of the serpents on the uh, Caduceus staff. So then I thought, ah, oh, okay, in that case I need another last name starting with B so that I can be odd and ob to be that the balance of the two serpents right. and the staff. So right. um, I actually looked through a dictionary looking for a B word that would counterbalance the outgoing energy of defenestrate with a more indrawing energy. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough, I didn't find a B word that was specifically like indrawing. But I found the word bascule, which actually means the process of balancing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a, 
uh, app device or apparatus um, of which one end rises when the other end falls. Um, right. So a seesaw or a, um, a spirit level um, uh, scales. And I was very into my art magic at the time. So that seemed a good symbol. So, yeah. Uh, it, it's also it uh, children is, uh, in game in game parks for children. You find them when two children sit on the on the basket. Yeah, the they say in France. Sea, and, seesaw. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Seesaw. Yes. Okay, that's what you call it in English, right? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You see, my French yeah. is better than my English. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But the um, the the hilarious uh, clincher on it all, uh, I found out a few years later um, when I was in Italy. Um, a friend told me that the main use of the word bascule in Italy was for these little balancing levers that you, they use. Um, in attics to open and close the window. <laughs> yeah, really? That, that's funny. Yeah. That is so funny. I was just yeah, like, yeah. okay, it's, it, it all fits, it all makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah. Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you for sharing that that development story with us. Um, yeah, it's like I said, about it's a probably long, longer one than you expected. There is, there is actually one other little nuance that's interesting in that when I first got the name Bascule, I sort of used the last names alternately. So sometimes I'd sign my name Ariel de Fenestrate and sometimes I'd sign it Ariel Bascule mm-hmm. and I'd sort of, you know, vacillate between the two. And I thought, oh, that's kind of strange. Why have I got two alternate last names? And then um, eventually uh, in, in 99 and 2000, I went on a, a big journey uh, with my alchemical marriage where I took estrogen for nine months and um, mm-hmm. grew breasts. And um, my goal with it was, um, mo- I mean, most people who take uh, such hormones, their goal is to change genders. But I wanted to become as hermaphroditic as I could. So I wanted mm-hmm. to see how female I could become without becoming any less male. Mm-hmm. So because of that, around nine months i felt like okay this is the balance point now and um so now i need to stop and i want to do a ritual to um celebrate the journey and also maintain as much as i could from from what i'd experienced and the way i changed and what i'd learned and then i suddenly realized oh this is like the alchemical wedding but like actually made manifest or will manifest i called it um yeah, yeah. so I had, I, I, I had an actual um, uh, alchemical wedding ceremony, which was, um, you know, part, uh, partly a, a serious sort of self, self-hand fasting pagan wedding. But also, of course, I couldn't, um, couldn't resist piss taking the whole um, convention of weddings with, with marrying myself. So I wore the, you know, the whole um, big lacy dress and veil with the, the top hat and um mm-hmm. and and vest over the top and yeah did a whole lot of silly things as well but um yeah when when I really when I um, married myself I suddenly realized oh of course and that's why I had two last names and so then I put the hyphen between them oh, <laughs> the, okay the male. so it's kind of officially yeah, yeah. the double name right yeah but, but and, I mean, and it's and also it, Interesting that this this period took nine months. It's a suggestion. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, the birth right, of, the, right. of the the birth of the hermaphroditic hermaphroditic child from the the union of of the, yeah. the you know the union with the self with the with 
you know, the other as the self, the self as exactly. the other. And um, it was also like a, a symbolic marriage of um, odd and ob, <laughs> of the two serpents um, yeah, entwining and balancing yeah, each other yeah. on the caduceus, yeah, which came into the, the wedding ceremony. In <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You have so many facets to your art, to your life. It's, um, can we try, try to, if it's possible, kind of just start a little bit at the beginning? Because, of course, uh, we all become the personality we are at some point in life, um, but we start from somewhere. And how, how did it start for you that you started your journey towards the occult, towards magic, towards the the, the occult arts. Where, where, and when did that start for you? Um, it's hard to pin it on a specific point because I kind of feel like it's, and I'm sure many magicians say this, but it's sort of been with me on some level my whole life. Um, as a child and more, more express just express itself through creativity and um you know like uh drawing and writing a lot of what i then sort of thought of as fantasy works or actually i sort of thought of them as something more than that but you know others saw them in that way um because i grew up in a very uh in uh, perth which is with a very conservative family and it's a mm. very conservative place and it's kind of like a a backwater it's like the way australia is sort of removed from the rest of the world perth is like removed from the rest of australia again it's like <laughs> quite quite strange and so like yeah i was in this very sort of conservative environment and um you know my family and, and everyone i knew and until my late teens um i, I had no idea uh, that there were like you know, living magicians or like, uh, you know, people in the modern world considering magic a as a real thing. Um, the only uh, thing, you know, I heard of about magic is is as a, a fantasy in, in fiction and, and fantasy books and films and comics and stuff. Mm. Um, I always sense there was more to it. Um, and but yeah so so the shift was more like uh, uh, bringing it into consciousness and and you know rather than subconscious and realizing that um i mean i look at some of the stuff i wrote in and, and drew um when i was a child and there's like um you know strange strange diagrams of of uh, lions with our chemical vessels for hearts mm. and all this sort of symbolism that i don't know how it came through but um right it's uh yeah 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 um so it was sort of um yeah i sort of had a, a late awakening in a way because of this conservative upbringing and then i finally got out of perth um I think it was uh, 19 or even 20 that I first went over to the East Coast and had this real awakening where I started meeting other people who were into magic and who were, um, you know, it was actually the first subculture and sort of alternative-minded mm -hmm. people I really met, except for a, a few sort of out-of-it punk types in Perth. But, um, yeah, so it, it was a, a huge awakening and, and I, um, yeah, I found, um, you know, whole groups of people and, and lived in an amazing big warehouse squat, squat in um, Sydney 
um, with you know a few people who were in the OTO involved and involved mm-hmm. in magic in different ways, and um, yeah, really, really suddenly went, oh, okay, I'm not alone in the world after all, <laughs> or in this world rather. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was amazing, and 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 then I just started doing it more consciously, I guess, you know, rather than um, yeah. sort of just drawing and writing and 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 doing it as a. Uh, you know, a, a subconscious thing. I started actually going, okay, now I'm doing a ritual, etc. Well, well, do you, do you think actually, that this, sorry, sorry. Do you think that this subconscious um, part of it early on, would you believe that that could be from a previous life? Do you believe in such things or do you not think that those things happen? I'm not sure. I don't actually have a, a set belief structure about um, reincarnation. I've gone mm. through times where I've believed in it and times where I've uh, believed other things um, and that some of the, some of the, um, what we think of as past life memories could just be tapping into the, the collective sort of DNA uh, of, of humanity, um, you know, because I mean, according to science through DNA, we can actually tap into, you know, the memories and knowledge of, of anyone and anything, <laughs> any time really. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, it could be fairly random or it could be, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm still not sure about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the idea of, of continuity. I've had some really interesting uh, past life experiences but I'm not entirely convinced that there's a sort of that that there's souls that have a, a sort of continued continuous lineage uh, through different incarnations um, could be the case or could be the case sometimes and then other times mm-hmm. maybe it's more like um, you know uh, incarnations are like drops from the, the ocean of souls and then we go back into the ocean right. and another drop falls with uh, another drop forms with the next incarnation but it might have bits of all different previous yeah, uh, yeah I'm, not, I'm not set in my belief of that so yeah, yeah but yeah I yeah. guess either way it kind of could have come from my um you know, my past or, or my future. I don't know, but yeah, yeah I, was like, I was tapping, tapping into things beyond the physical. And that part of that actually might have been to do with the banality of my conservative environment, because I was really uninterested in anything that was going around in me in the physical world. So that might've given, actually given me an impetus to, to find other realities. Yeah. Well, some of you who have very good ears might hear that we have uh, just interrupted the recording and restarted it. And while we were doing that, Oriel was telling me about all kinds of technical problems going on in, in his life and in our common lives as well lately when we tried to do this interview. Oriel, what happened on your end? I think you wanted to talk about that briefly. Um, not this specifically, but just the fact that I've been having lots of technical glitches lately and um, some interesting uh, magic- magical phenomena around it because um, I've, I've always found that uh, it, if I work a lot on, um, on a particular computer or something um, that I get some kind of strange alignment with it and um which makes sense to me even on a scientific level because you know we're we're electrical as well our, our nervous systems and 
Um, so if we work intensively on a device, I guess we sort of link up in, in some subtle way because I, I've found a few times that if I get overtired or a bit frazzled, then sometimes, you know, at the end of a long night working on a computer or something, it will also start to glitch out. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it hasn't happened much uh, for me in recent years, but uh, just recently it's been really strange because uh, I just have this uh, massive unexpected health crisis and mm. as I was breaking down, my laptop broke down like completely. Hmm. And um, then it was, yeah, it was completely dysfunctional. The, the, and, and none of it made any sense. Like the, um, the cursor was just jumping all over the screen. So I couldn't do anything, mm. even if I plugged in an external mouse. And I mean, it was terrible timing because I was like stuck in hospital, and and so uh, you know, <laughs> my communication device wasn't working either. And oh my god! It was yeah. it was really really strange. And um, but yeah, I, I had a an audited experience where I um, I, I had a time a few days into it where I did a, a very deep sort of meditation and, and healing session with some music and shavasana and uh, for over an hour and, and I felt totally transformed, transformed from it. Like all my frayed energy had really calmed down and I just felt so much better and calmer in my whole being. And then I, I turned on my computer for the first time in, in a day or so and it worked perfectly. <laughs> I was mm. like, okay, this is odd. And then um, yeah. over the next few days it started uh, glitching out a little bit but not as badly. And um, after a while I could realize I, could, I realized I could actually use it as a kind of um, warning sign. It was like uh, when, I, when I needed to rest because I wasn't well and I was getting sort of too involved in something on a mental level and, and not remembering to, to nourish my body, then um, it, was, it was like the, the computer would start telling me, hey, turn me off. <laughs> I'm not okay. going to work unless you're working, um, which was yeah. really interesting. And, and um, yeah, so I started really tuning into that and, um, and realizing that, um, yeah, there's actually a really interesting potential in that if I have that kind of uh, rapport with electrical energy, because if I can learn to control that, that, yeah, because that's really interesting implications. And, um, yeah, and then, then I remember that. that of, of course, energy is ener it's energy, it's as you say, right? Of course, of course, yeah. And um, yeah. Uh, yeah, then I remembered a, an interesting thing that happened a few years ago. Um, it's actually quite relevant to this podcast too because I was um, doing a, an invocation of Hermes. It's, it's one I'm going to to read the words of a little bit later, but I, I was doing a, a musical version of it uh, for a while. Last time I was in Europe with a friend in Antwerp, the musician Erzon, and um, we kind of created um, from jamming a, a loose sort of structure. Was it sort of a... It, it was a, sort of like a song, but it wasn't fully composed. It just had a few particular cues and riffs, and then we'd freeform mm -hmm. jam on it. And... Um, yeah, there were there were two times we performed it, uh, where the the main cue that Ozon had was like where where there was all the sound was building up and getting more and more intense and more and more layered, and um, the invocation was rising in energy, and then you know there there was a particular. Uh, vocal cue i guess it had got so noisy at that point it might have been hard for him to actually hear it properly but um yeah that was a, that was a signal for 
everything to just cut out and then go back to this like no sound and then the voice just begins right. again in the silence and it gradually builds up again but um yeah uh, there were two times we performed this piece when he missed his cue but all his equipment just stopped at the exact right time anyway <laughs> <laughs> so yeah <laughs> that's amazing that's yeah, amazing. it is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I don't yeah. know how much how much I'm responsible yeah. for that and how much Hermes yeah. is responsible for it. Right. Um, reminds, me, it reminds me a little bit of Poltergeist, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> no, it's, joking. No, no, <laughs> seriously, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, you, you just mentioned maybe it's the moment now for that poem because you just okay, sure, mentioned yeah, that and um, Oriel he brought us some of his um, poem art and uh, decided that he will read. Uh, it to us. So maybe we do this poem now. What's uh, what's the name of the poem? Um, it doesn't really have a name as such. I guess just okay. Hermes, or actually thrice greatest okay. Hermes, thrice greatest Hermes, thrice greatest Hermes is probably the best name for it. Okay, good. So I'll let you speak. Eo Hermes, Eo Hermes, Eo Hermes. Thrice greatest Hermes, thrice greatest Hermes, thrice greatest Hermes. Bringer of the dawn, herald of the morn, bridger of the dusk, herald of the night, father of goat-hoofed lust, lithe one of light. Thrice greatest three of the blight, of fought lightning strike. In mist you thrust and birthed one bathed in the scent of musk. Hermes Trismegistus, Hermes Trismegistus, Hermes Trismegistus. Fleet-footed one, silver-tongued one, twain-tongued one. Fleet-footed one, swift-pinioned three ways of the in-between. Seer of celestial choir, ear of the vision, Lord of the crossroads, arbiter of division, architect of angles, messenger of angels, swift leaper, emissary of the mysteries, herald of deities, thrice greatest Hermes, thrice greatest Hermes, thrice greatest Hermes, mathematician of mythology, master of mythical mythology. Be with me now, travel wise and weather wise, O travel wise one and weather wise winding one, winding one. Bright spark, God of merchants and of thieves, you who believes and retrieves Akashic records and sieves them for the truth, you who deceives but only by what you tell not, because you can not, O messenger of the gods, that would not be expected of you. Eloquent, eloquent one, amorous, erogenous one, androgynous two, ambiguous three, arbitrary one of amorous, androgynous, ambiguity, immoral, immortal, antiquity, ever young, fertile, virility, swift changing one, undone one, none. Become one. Ah, two-faced one, oh, one-faced two, thrice greatest one, thrice greatest three, thrice greatest three, thrice greatest three, oh, multifarious, magnificent, multifaceted, infinite one, oh, multifarious, magnificent, multifaceted, infinite fee, in finite me.
Thrice great as Hermes Trismegistus. Thrice great as Hermes Trismegistus. Thrice great as Hermes Trismegistus. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this was a double premiere. I triple. don't remember. Uh, <laughs> triple. Maybe we have to find the third one. Um, the one I don't remember. We had uh, we ever had somebody reciting his own work, artwork. Um, uh, well, music, but not performing live, but just just uh, playing his music, but live or uh, poetry, nothing. And oh, uh, of course. Of course, the second level is never anything about Hermes' life here. So on the Thoughts Hermes uh -huh. podcast, this is was great. Thank you. Well, well I think we have something something later on once again, right? Is that am I right or did you bring, uh, yeah, bring sure, another one sure. for later? Yeah, good. Yeah, great. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, on that subject of it actually being about Hermes is actually one of the reasons why I uh, contacted you again when I did is because. Um, Hermes been, has been very prevalent for me lately. Um, <laughs> I called on him a lot to um, to escape from Australia, being the god yeah. of, tra of travel and everything. And um, yeah, and there's yeah, he's been very present. Yeah. And I've been making a lot of artwork. Yeah. I've done like uh, several drawings with Hermes lately, and uh, also a, a bronze sculpture. Um, so yeah, I'll give you a link to put in the show notes with the site with all that stuff. On yes, too. absolutely. Please do all go to the show notes because, um, and we go getting into that now right away. Um, Oriel is such a multifaceted artist. It's impossible to put everything that he does on the show notes and on the <coughs> links uh, on, 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 um, in images in the show notes. So we need links. You need to go there by yourself and look it all up. It's, it's really great artwork. I love what you're doing. Well, Oriel is just such a fascinating personality. A little bit hard to nail down sometimes, but it's no, he's really great. And um, as I say in the interview, I don't know how he did it um, to to be able to do all those artistic activities that he does on such a good level. And um, well, he wasn't able to tell me himself. Uh, uh, he just knows how to do it. Great. Well, one of his capacities is also music and not only music just like that, but uh, using his voice for music and sound. I would almost call it sound installation sometime. Um, it's ambient, of course, and but it's ritual music as well. It's also there not easy to define but why should we always have to define stuff why just not let it be what it is i think that's what we really can learn um, in esotericism in occultism and especially here also with oriel and his music and not only his music so what we're going to hear um is uh i would call it almost an invocation it's called hecate charm it lasts about five minutes and um, well that Hecate charm he recorded it together with uh, Katamara that his musical partner in that piece they invoke together the goddess Hecate and I think nothing much more to be said about that you're going to hear it in a few seconds and I'm sure you're going to be fascinated and enjoy that just as I did.
And then I'll go straight back to Antwerp to continue our talk with Oriel. And at the end of the interview, he, well, his music comes back. You're going to hear we talk about that video he recently created. Once again, I want to remind you that all the links and also the link to that video are on the website uh, on sourcehermes.com. Go there on the show note page and find that video. It's really fascinating to watch. And what you're going to hear at the end of the interview is an excerpt um, from the ambient music, from the music that he created and performed for it. So it's called Dance of the New Flesh for that video called Solve et Coagula. And not only the video, but also the music is written and performed by Oriel himself. Okay, now, hey, cut a charm. Then we go back to the interview. And after that, dance of the new flesh. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Well, Ariel, um, we were in Sydney. You were in Sydney. You met those people. You found out you were not the only one who who, who works with that and who is interested in magic. And when when did art? Because you're a poet. You're a musician. You're a sculptor. You're a painter. What are you not? I have to ask. Um, how how did art come into your life? And was it clear from the very beginning that art and magic occultism um, are absolutely may i say the same for you uh, or did that happen over time um they sort of always have been as i was sort of earlier talking about how i had no idea of like magic as a as something that was ever considered real by a modern society um in my in my childhood um so art was sort of you know my expression my way of dealing with it and um yeah i've more and more uh, in my life i've the the boundaries between the two have really really blurred have uh you know become obscure at times uh i do less sort of conscious ritual than i used to in terms of um you know actual spell casting or ceremony um because i feel like uh it's got to a point where the, the magic from you know previous invocations and ceremonies and stuff is is sort of just expressing itself through me now um the channels are open and, and just to do art and you know and i mean art in all its manifestations whether it's it's painting or sculpture or um song or dance or um uh, theater or yeah um so it's sort of like i do a lot of different things but i sort of also feel like it's one thing in a way like it's all art and it's all magic and um you know it's just different I, i like to explore different mediums um, I've been called a polymath, which I find a funny term because um, the thing I'm not good at actually is maths. <laughs> but um, mostly just because I'm not really interested in it. But um, yeah, it, it's, um, I mean, I enjoy the qualitative aspects of numbers sometimes, but not the quantitative so much. But um, the, uh, yeah, I, I like um I like changing mediums a lot because I find it actually um creatively inspiring. I mean there's the old adage um you know uh, jack of all trades master of none but uh mm. I actually find with art and magic that uh to change mediums and modes a lot is actually inspiring because if I if I ever sort of get stuck or stagnant in one particular mode or medium of expression, then I find I can, I can move to another, um, and, you know, find some sort of fresh inspiration. And then that might feed back into the earlier one or into some other mode, you know, so, uh, and, and yeah, they cross pollinate each other nicely because, um, you know, I might write a poem and then later, I'll use those words in a jam and they'll become lyrics of a song or, you know, which might then later feature in a, in a, in a play or a film. Um, yeah, it all, it all just sort of moves around through these different mediums and, and yeah, it's, it's, I like to work well, that well, way. Yes, yes, sure. Sure. I hear you, but, um, I mean, uh, you also have to be able to do that. I mean, it's not that because you are 
able to say perform music on the guitar to say that something or violin in your case which is an instrument you're using um, um, you have to be able to actually use that instrument you have to actually be able to use your colors and paints uh, um, to, to, to produce uh, an image you have to be able to to do a bronze sculpture or to even to make a film. Um, I mean, how did you learn all that to up to a level that you can express yourself magically and artistically in it? Uh, I don't have a day job. <laughs> <laughs> but you have talent, okay? <laughs> can okay. we agree on that? <laughs> uh, um, but I don't know. I mean, a lot of, a lot of arts are, are quite intuitive. It's not necessarily about like learning techniques or stuff. Um, you know, you can sort of teach yourself or just learn by doing um, and, you know, I guess I've, I've had the, also had the good fortune of just um, meeting a lot of other artists and throughout my life who, who have, um, you know, shown me some, some techniques and, and, and things. And, um, yeah, I guess I've just, um, mm. yeah, acquired skills by, by doing uh, stuff. Uh, let, let me say that I believe you're being a bit too modest about that because, I find it quite extraordinary to be able to do all those things at that level that you're doing them. Um, maybe there's some magic behind that. Mm, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm often invoking while I'm doing art. So, I, I, uh, you know, hmm. I do believe the, the gods and spirits uh, help me. Um, often I feel like, you know, I'm a, a conduit for, for things expressing themselves you know through my hands and through my eyes mm. rather than it it's not all not all just me as such but i, I know i'm a um i am aware that i'm a, a, a skilled vessel <laughs> for that expression yeah, yeah. so um Looks okay there goes like the modesty yeah <laughs> yeah good good well maybe belongs to it but if i get you right for you art is not magical but art is magic is that is that yeah, would be okay, yeah. right to say well mm. It, it should be. I mean, uh, it, you know, I mean, true art to me is magic. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, there's a lot of people doing what they call art that um, isn't necessarily magical in that, like, um, you know, a lot of uh, modern conceptual art is very yeah, uh, sure. mentally orientated. I don't have a problem with, um, with conceptual art and, and um, you know, a lot of esoteric art has strong concepts in it, obviously, but I feel there's got to be a balance and for it to really be art or a particularly magical art, it, it needs to have feeling in it as well. It needs to have a soul as well as the mental. Like, um, you know, having, having mental stuff and concepts and symbols is great, but um, if, if there's no sort of emotion and, and passion in it, then it, it usually leaves me cold. Yeah, yeah, okay, I understand that. Somehow you didn't answer my question, though. So we are back in Sydney. Um, <laughs> what happened? I mean, it didn't just fall down from heaven uh, on you and say, "Oh, hey, Oriel, here, here is the canvas paint." I mean, what, 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 what inspired you? What inspires you even today? What, what happened there? Well, I mean, I was I was already doing art. I mean, since I could hold a pencil, the, that mm. that um, shift in that happened in Sydney, and it was also at um, some festivals in northern New South Wales, out in the countryside, that I first started meeting more alternative-minded people. That was more just uh, an awareness that I wasn't alone, and that I could actually, you know, that there actually 
other people in the world uh, that that magic was something you know you could actually call stuff magic not as just a fantasy um Mm -hmm. but it did i guess sort of knowing that did allow me to then you know and and then of course i got hold of some some magic books and um you know rather than just so-called you know fantasy fiction and um yeah, and so I started actually doing ritual in a more conscious way. I, I sort of did it in a, in a intuitive way as a child, but then I was like, okay, I'm now I'm doing a ritual. Now I'm calling this god. Um, yeah, Hermes was actually the 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 second god that I ever invoked. Right. Uh, the first one was May Pan. May I ask who was the first? Pan. <laughs> Pan. I'm yeah. not surprised somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was a I was a horny teenager at the time, so what do you expect? <laughs> yeah. And I I just read um Tom Robbins Chitterbug Perfume, which is a, a very funny and quite mm-hmm. magical book. And also um uh Peter Carroll's Lieber Null and Psychonaut, which really opened up a lot for me. And yeah, it all right. went from there, really. So that was my first few rituals at that warehouse. And um, yeah, and then I just kept doing magic and kept doing art. And um, when eventually I left Australia, it was like the same kind of uh, opening up again that I'd experienced coming from Perth to the east coast of Australia, mm. coming from Australia to, to America and to Europe and England was like, uh, you know, if the same thing again, but even more so. Yeah. <laughs> it was like uh, at, at um, another so, level again. Yeah. 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 Really starting to connect with magical and artistic community and, and subculture mm-hmm. a lot more. And, and um, yeah. Yeah. Where Finding and maybe still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where and maybe still are you uh, attracted more by certain types of magic, certain techniques of magic, or are you also the polymaths in magical things that you are in the artistic world? Yeah, I'm a bit of a polymyth, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Because, um, yeah. I I, like your word games. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's like, um, yeah, I've I've delved into a few different pantheons and um, a few different uh, magical systems. Um, but I do like to, to, um, do so as, uh, you know, with, with some depth and, and some, um, uh, respect because, um, I sort of, one of the problems I had with, uh, with chaos magic, not right at the beginning, but a bit later is I felt like a lot of people were using this idea of switching paradigms and adopting anything as a magical premise. It it was a great revolutionary idea for the time, but then I felt like people, maybe some people got carried away with it where they were just sort of channel surfing different systems and pantheons Mm. and, and they weren't actually going into them with any depth or or respect they were just like oh i'll grab a bit of this and i'll grab a bit of that um whereas i've i've made a a a conscious effort to like if i'm going to go into something i'll i'll go into it properly and um Mm -hmm. you know i'll be careful i mean still of course to varying degrees there's some things i've i've gone into a bit and and then uh, you know not so much but then there's others 
others that I've um, gone into really thoroughly. So I tend to go through periods in my life where I'll go really into one thing. And I guess it's the same with the medium switching. So sometimes I might just really focus on sculpture for months or, or music or whatever it is. And, you know, if I'm just focusing on, on um, sculpture or painting, I might not pick up my violin for months, etc. And um, yeah, it's the same with, uh, with, with different magical systems and different pantheons. It's like I, I will sort of go into something in its pure form before I sort of start syncretizing it with anything else I've been playing with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little parenthesis, why the violin? It's a rather unusual instrument, not often seen with occultists. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, um, there's no particular actual, that wasn't really a decision on my part. I mm. was offered violin lessons as a child at school and okay. um, decided to do it. And I, I actually didn't didn't like it uh, some of the earlier time because I didn't have some of my early teachers weren't very good and it was very formal and very specific and there were times um, where I was just like oh this is boring I don't want to do it and my my parents kind of really you know almost forced me to keep doing it Pushed, at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but I'm, yeah. I'm actually really glad because I, it's a very technical instrument it's not unlike guitar it is, it's not yeah. something you can just pick up and play around with and get a good sound within a few months like um, it's really good to have some solid techniques behind it. So I'm, I'm actually really grateful now that I, that I have this sort of solid technical foundation. But um, I did get sick of it. And after, after 10 years of, of um, quite particular kind of classical instruction, uh, when I stopped learning, I, I didn't touch it for years and I was really just over it. But then I, I picked okay. it up again and I started playing with it and I realized that... Um, knowing the rules is great if you're not bound to them you know <laughs> once I could just sort of yeah, do what sure. I wanted and, and freeform with it I was like wow this is amazing and you know then, mm -hmm. then like having that uh, technical foundation was useful but it did take me quite a while because of that rigid training before I could actually loosen up enough to play with other people like when I was first mm. jamming I was like you know but how does it go <laughs> you know but so yeah, I eventually I started to classical yeah, yeah, teaching yeah. so, yeah, so yeah. It, it, it took a bit of unlearning as well and um to find mm. that and um it also helped that um my violin like a, a, a quite good expensive violin that uh, my parents had got me earlier on got um trodden on at a crazy party i was at in the rainforest and um mm -hmm. yeah i couldn't couldn't afford a new one and i was really upset about it because as at a time at a time i was really getting into it and and um mm -hmm. playing it a lot um but it ended up being a good thing because uh Uh, at the time, I, I couldn't stop playing music, playing music because it was something I was really into at the time. So that was when I, I really started to sing, and um, I learned guitar, um, you know, which is sort of the obvious instrument for vocal accompaniment. Yeah, sure. And wrote a whole lot of songs. So then had a sort of new mode of expression um, for for my poetry as well. And yeah, really got into voice. And um, right. yeah, then when eventually I got a, a new violin years later, um, it was great because it was it was different from having you know having learned to sing 
you know, mm. more intuitively rather than with strict lessons. So then I had right. felt like I had more freedom with the violin and I also mm. then started singing with the violin, which is something that's, you know, not usually done because it's under yeah, your chin sure, and it's yeah. a, a melody exactly. rather than chord instrument, but I, I was yeah. a lot better on it. So you mentioned alchemy because you mentioned the, the alchemical wedding. You mentioned chaos magic. Um, so these are really um, landmarks within the magical world. Are there some more? I mean, you you created, and I wanted to ask you about that anyway, you created your own guess it's your own tarot deck right yeah. so that's also a classical landmark almost in magic um are those landmarks a important to you and maybe you tell us a bit more about the tarot deck itself um the tarot deck's actually one of the first sort of well it is the first magical artifact i really created uh, it's the first thing i published it's self-published um but yeah i'm still selling it it's um it's an unlimited edition um, when did you create it? I actually first created it, gosh, I'm not actually sure what year, but um, let me think. Uh, it, would, it was more than 25 years ago, I think. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, I did the whole thing sort of, you know, actually I was doing it in those days in Sydney at the warehouse. That's when I was first working on oh, it. Oh, right. It was that yeah. And, and, mm. Yeah. And I, um, I created the whole deck fairly quickly, I guess, because I did all 78 cards over a two-year period. Um, yeah, I was mostly working on that and not much else. And um, mm -hmm. it was actually a really interesting time to create it because I was a bit of a neophyte at the time. And I was, I was still researching and learning about the tarot as I was creating it. Um, I obviously I had a pretty strong base understanding of it, um, you know, or I wouldn't have embarked on the project. But um, f for each new card, I would, you know, I would read up on that card in a whole lot of different uh, tarot books to get a really mm -hmm. sort of diverse, um, you know, a variety of, of different ideas and, and mm -hmm. approaches and perspectives on each card. And then I would just, you know, leave the reading and just meditate on it and think about everything and, and um, f you know, for, for weeks and then eventually draw it. And the order I did the cards in was quite intuitive as well because um, I would often draw a particular uh, minor arcana scenario uh, because it related to a recent experience I'd had. Um, mm -hmm. or, or else I would, um, I would draw one of the, the um, court cards like a king or a queen because I met somebody who <laughs> was like that archetype in a way and that I'd actually mm -hmm. draw them as that, you know, they modeled for, for the, the images in some of those cases. And there were also interesting right. magical synchronicities in that sometimes there was no particular situation or archetype happening in my life um, that seemed relevant but i wanted to go on with the deck so i would just work on a, a card and then often a person like that or a situation like that would then appear in my life soon after um, or even while right. i was drawing the card so that was very interesting mm -hmm. and um i did redraw um Uh, most of the major arcana and a few of the minor about 10 years later when I had uh, mm -hmm. more knowledge. And uh, while they're, they're better um, on some levels, there's a lot more sort of 
you know, esoteric symbolism and, and depth to them in a way. I'm also glad that I originally did the, the deck, especially the minor kana in this early stage of my magical development, because there's a kind of um, rawness to them where they're, they're um, you know, they're very sort of feeling orientated and they're not, they're not too dense with, with mental um, symbolism. Which I right. think for the minor arcana, it particularly is, is a good approach. And then a good you know, thing, with absolutely. the majors, yeah. I've, I've added in some more layers later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what about those landmarks? So, uh, as I said, you, you, alchemy, tarot, are those for you also classical landmarks you want to learn and respect? Or are they just tools that you use freely to create your own magical practice? Oh yeah, no. There's there's definitely some landmarks in in my mm. um, evolution as an artist and magician, and yeah, the tarot would be one of them. Yeah, 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 definitely. What do you think? Maybe it's time for another poem. What do you? How do you feel about that? I could do that. Maybe um, you give us just a short background hint before you read. Um. Oh, yeah, I'm not really sure what to say to introduce this one. Um, I was actually just going to throw it into the conversation if something related came up. But um, since you asked, I'll just read it now. Um, okay, well, if it's okay for you. Yeah, yeah sure. Okay, here, here goes then. The apparent friction betwixt fact and fiction is in fact a fiction and in fiction a fact. The apparent friction betwixt fact and fiction is in fact a fiction instead of frisson twixt fact and fiction may factualize fictions and fictionalize the facts. A fusion twixt fact and fiction is liable to warp our diction and cause confusion with concrete allusions, tangible tangents and graspable wraiths. The fusion of fiction and fact is certainty's faith Disbelief in either friction between fact and fiction or infusion twixt fact and fiction creates opposing factions of fragmented faith. But whereas the frictions are fact to the fickle factitious, the pernicious fixators of fiction fact fusion depict this fraction as merely a faction of fict. A fission twixt fact and fiction confuse the facts with impossible acts, confusing the factions which insist on distinction twixt faction and fict. Fragments of fact keep things the way they are. The demons of stasis bind us in our places so we cannot act beyond our allotted parts, whereas figments of fiction are like pigments of a pact with an angel of art. Of course, if we fractalize these fragments of fact and figments of fiction in a fact, fiction, frisson, fission of fact, fission, fragment, figment, fragment, tangible illusion and vagrant cohesion, we might fact, fiction, fragile, fragment, fracture our brains. So let's stop there and play some music. <laughs> That's how I usually end the, the poem if performing it. Um, 
because it's often in the context of a musical performance. So it's like, sure. okay, enough, enough mental madness. Let us just have some vibrations. <laughs> but, but I was going to say, this is a very musical poem, onomatopoetic. It's a hard oh, yeah, word, yeah, yeah. but that's I, I, I like, call it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Like, um, like playing with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you already, when you mentioned in the beginning about your name, that became obvious that you like to play with sound and word at yeah, the same yeah, yeah. time. Absolutely. Actually, that might that might actually be a good uh, a point to mention, um, mm -hmm. and in relation to the poems as well. Um, my uh, new book, because um, yes, both those poems are from that book, and the book is actually about the magic of language. It's you know, I mean, it's a book of the magic of language, but it's also about the magical magic of language. It's called Assegesis, which is a new uh, word uh, from Glossolalia, which. Um, which means the the um, the the flesh words words becoming flesh. So it's like um, okay. Say that word again. Assegesis. Okay. <laughs> it's quite difficult to pronounce. It's got like a, yeah. a sort of a, a Portuguese sound, like the Portuguese mm -hmm, J. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's about the idea of of the word made flesh, and like I mean. The the f the word language comes from the French language is um, actually just tongue. So language yeah. is li literally tongueage, and it's the idea that um, you know it's it's vibrational, essentially that originally you know language was created not from just mental concepts but by actual sound and vibration, and um, you know that's an important thing to remember and that. I think poetry and song and incantation and invocation takes us back to that original power of language rather than just the abstracted mental aspects of it, which are also interesting, of course. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, so the book, it's a collection of my, um, my esoteric verse. It's also heavily illustrated with uh, relevant pictures for the different poems, but there's also a, a a, um, a lengthy essay on the magic of language. Uh, and well, when will that be issued and how can people get it? Well, it's actually um, great timing in terms of this interview being delayed because um, I just uh, finally found a publisher for it last night. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and um, yeah, through, through another magical synchronicity too. And um yeah, it's um, I'm very excited about it because uh, it's actually through a new publishing house. Um, mm -hmm. It'll be one of their first books. It'll probably be early next year, and that's um, uh, Grail Press uh, from Jack Grail. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, he's um, he's studying his own. You know, he's a, he's a wonderful writer um, himself. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, and a great guy, and, and he's, he's now starting his own press, which is, is very exciting to, to see what he's going to so release. That's good so to hear. I feel yeah. very honored to be um, one of his first author artists. That, that's great. And so early next year, do let us know when you, when you have an exact date. I'm sure, make sure that we'll post it also on the website and let people know. 
Uh, actually, Thank it's you. not your first appearance on this podcast. Uh, you had a short appearance on that um, 2019 December um, overview we did on the on the oh, culture conference in Berlin. You were performing there and did a short interview there. I remember, and it, it was really fun to hear you there and to. To, to, to now finally have you here for that large interview we're planning since then. Um, what what other plans do you have? I think you're opening uh, uh, an exhibition soon. Is that right? Or uh, did I get that wrong? Yeah, no, I am. I'm glad you reminded me to mention that actually I'm um, I've, I have a um, I'm one of the three organizers of a, a multi arts event in Brussels in, in mm. oh, it's just a, two and a half weeks away now, um, mm -hmm. the 28th. So maybe 20th. you say the date because, you know, there's always a delay between recording and, 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 and uh, actually issuing. Yeah, so what yeah, will of they course. be the date? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah, so by the time this broadcast, probably even even less than two weeks, um, mm. it's uh, Thursday the 28th and Friday the 29th of October. And right. it's at... at um, Hakem Gallery in Brussels. Uh, so we've got two nights of uh, diverse live music. Uh, several acts, uh, several of the musical acts I'm involved in with various different collaborators, um, and a lot of uh, a lot of other interesting um, musicians. And then I'm also doing my um, Samhain ritual dance theatre piece, Skin Surface Substance. Uh, which mm -hmm. I developed for uh, Edge Galleries in Australia for the Samhain over there, which is actually in May because the, sure. the, the seasons have shifted. And it's interesting because I've, I then distilled the performance and, and planned on doing it again a few times. And um, it just kept getting postponed because of all the, the COVID restrictions over there. Okay. And um, yeah, so it's interesting that I'm, now doing it again at the Northern Hemisphere, Samhain, six months later. So it's later. the first time you do it in the Northern Hemisphere then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've only done the yeah, performance once before because of all those right. postponements. So it's obviously meant right. to be a Samhain thing. <laughs> yeah, well, very good, very good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's about the, the veils, like the, you know, the, the unveiling of the layers of, of yeah. you know, skin and surface and substance. Yeah, so it, it, it definitely, yeah. yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, for, following, I've, I'm also exhibiting um, paintings and sculptures at, uh, at this event and um, it's immediately followed in the, the following two days on the 30th and the 31st by a smaller more intimate gathering at my um, Chalet Cripper School in, um, in the forest in the, the Ardennes yeah, forest of right. southern Belgium uh, where, I, full, where I now live weekend. in yeah, yeah. So the yeah, idea is yeah. that some of the people coming from other countries for the gathering can, you know, come yeah. a bit early and come to the event. Yeah, yeah, and also yeah. we can do all the, the amplified stuff that's a bit tricky in the forest, um, you know, at, yeah, at sure, the Brussels yeah. thing and then and then have a more sort of acoustic um, forest uh, uh, rituals. And there is also some theatrical mm -hmm. ritual mm -hmm. in the uh, labyrinth <laughs> installation. So, yeah, uh, I, I can put the links for all of that stuff on the on the show notes too so you people who who are listening to this not on the first four days of the of the of the of the, after publication of the show well you'll see you should listen to the show right away when it comes out <laughs> otherwise well <laughs> too bad but it will inspire you to follow Oriel uh, in his other doings 
Well, Oriel, um, we've mentioned the different types of arts that you're in, and very briefly we touched the word film, but we should uh, speak a bit more about that because I think that's something that you, is very important to you also personally, and uh, um, uh, so you sent me also a link to that film, and I was very impressed by it. Um, tell us about your film project and maybe future projects in that film. Yeah, I mean, uh, film hasn't always been important to me, but it, it is at the moment because I, I just um, completed my first feature film um, December last year. It was released December last year. I was working on it pretty intensively for three years before that. Um, before that, I'd done a few sort of like music videos and things like that, and, uh, um, you know, I enjoy a bit of film editing, but it was it was never a sort of primary medium for me. Um, mm -hmm. But I went more into it because um, because I'm so much into performance and ritual theatre, and um, I figure with a film you can reach a lot more people with the expression of this. But also, mm -hmm. it's it's very much a medium in itself in terms of uh, once you lose the atmosphere and energy of a live performance you have to bring something else into the film that you can't do live you know with effects and close-ups and editing and everything else so i went right into it as a medium in its own uh, also mm -hmm. incorporating my sculptures and and stop animation and and music and it, it ended up being a really good for platform for lots of the different things i do to sort of uh, bridge them together and, um, you know, bringing them into a sort of cohesive whole expression. However, I, I don't really want to become a, a filmmaker or anything. And, um, you know, I, I'll, I will do some more stuff, I'm sure. But um, after a break from the last year of intensive editing. But um, uh, I am more interested in live performance. So my hope with making this film is to reach more people, but ultimately that then they will be interested in the live performance i'm doing and come to and those then, shows yeah, rather, rather than just come to the shows yes sure, yeah rather, sure, rather than yeah, then yeah. sit in sit in their their lounge rooms and say hey make another film for us <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I gather it's a bit the same issue that you mentioned earlier with conceptual art uh, film making editing is very technical and becomes very and mentally tedious, charged yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah. tedious through that and uh, you have to be careful not to lose the emotional and the soul part of it when you do it right totally and it, it was very ironic in this case because i mean the act the film's actually about embodiment like disembodiment and re-embodiment and uh, you know because it's about orpheus so he, he you know he he lost his his body and because he was immortal he he was just a singing head for you know in for millennia in this film and um it was bizarre because i was spending hours and hours uh editing just my own head singing you know masking out little background glitches and stuff and, and it was so I'm tedious sure, yeah. and because i was just on the computer and um yeah there was also a large sequence where i got my hands back but i was just a head and hands and uh, and i suddenly realized oh it's actually what i've become for months i've just been a head and you know hands on a keyboard and a, and a head looking at the screen and thinking about it and uh, and i sort of you know actually become really disembodied and i had to be really conscious of stopping for yoga breaks and and singing and yeah. stuff like that but um yeah it, yeah it was so it was interesting and it was also interesting just because the the piece itself 
um, it's loosely based on a, a ritual theatre piece that I did um, back in, I think, 2008 and 2009, uh, mm -hmm. Solve Ecoagula, it's called. And in some levels, it made more sense as a live performance because it's about embodiment. And so when I was, you know, dancing and singing, dancing my body back into being at the end after the rememberment, you know, there was a, a kind of physicality of it that made more sense. Um, and also, you know, getting the audience to join in with the drum breath. So they were part of that mm. experience. Whereas, um, you know, film's quite a passive medium. So it was a challenge to translate these concepts into yeah. this reality. But um, I'm, yeah. I'm very yeah. happy with the results. Uh, it did take a lot of time. It was a lot of hard work. Oh, it's but great. Also, People it, really it, see it. Yeah. It, it's uh, timed, timed well in a way because um, uh, with all the lockdown stuff, I mean, yeah, I probably would still wouldn't have finished if, <laughs> if all that had happened. But like, you know, they, I just did all the editing because I was, you know, I couldn't perform yeah. live or, or, you know, do sure. much else. And I was stuck in Australia and, and um, yeah, I just finally did a, a year of editing pretty much as a full-time job and got it done. Another thing that happened timely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, in a way. somehow. Yeah, yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I guess it's probably more interesting to actually talk about the the content and expression of the film um, rather than just the process. So it's mm. it's about uh, Orpheus, but it it actually begins where the uh, where the the classical myth ends with the ends, tearing yeah. apart of Orpheus by the Maenads. Mm -hmm. um, And I sort of used that as a launch pad for then my own um, speculative kind of sequel in a way in the second act. Uh, because I always wondered when I heard that, when I first heard that tale, okay, well, what, what happened to Orpheus then if he, he ended up as a disembodied head and yet he was still bound to the realms of the flesh, to the physical world in terms of mm. being immortal? He couldn't die and yet he didn't have a body. It was a strange state to be in. So... So what happened to this immortal singing head? Where did it go after the you know, end of the story? Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I was thinking about that one day and then I thought about the Baphomet head that the um, Templars purportedly took Oracle from and then I was something like, oh, maybe that's the head of Orpheus. And you know, it's like, uh, and a lot of, there were a lot of magical synchronicities came together around the concept. So I, um, yeah, I turned that into a, a play and then years later into a, a film. I had made um, longer films before um, of some of my ritual theater, but they were more like documentations of the live performances. Um, you know, there was some editing and a bit of effects, but um, this one was different in terms of I recreated the entire thing for specifically for the film medium with, you know, lo locations in different countries and um, stop animation and all sorts of different aspects. And I also worked really heavily on the music, um, some of which I believe you, you'll hear in this podcast. Absolutely, um, and yeah, I worked. I worked on the sound almost as much as I did the visuals because you know it's about Orpheus, so that was that was intrinsic. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the film's been doing uh, quite well, winning it's won I think fifteen awards now. Um, oddly, I'm, I'm yeah, and I did a, a um, limited edition sort of book and DVD 
Blu-ray, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, you can also stream it on Vimeo uh, for just absolutely yeah. for just like three dollars um, mm-hmm. to higher or ten dollars. Also in the also in the, in the show notes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great. No, absolutely. Um, fast, no, it's fascinating. I, I lucky me, I saw it, and it, it's. I really can only tell everyone go and have a look. It's really inspiring, and uh, it's great artwork and. Gives you also, I, I believe, a, a good view on on what Oriel is and does. I, I would yeah. say. Yeah, Oriel, we're like coming towards the end of the show already, uh, but I have to ask you one final question. Um, yeah. You, you, all the work you do, you do it very involved, and it's very. Um, energetic it's very much linked to the body to 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 all that that you express with the body um has age the years has that changed um the way you express the art because your body has changed with the years um oh interesting question um Yes and no. I mean, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I sort of feel like, yeah, in some ways, of course, the, the body deteriorates, but also in other ways it continues <laughs> to... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah I, in other ways it also continues to, to develop. Um, sure. So, yeah, there's an interesting dichotomy to play with there, you know, especially in mm-hmm. terms of things like dance, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, if... And I guess if if you're actively um, using and honing something, then um, you know that uh, decreases the, the 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 deterioration and and um, increases the development. Sure. So um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like um, I feel like my my work's constantly evolving on on all different levels, including the physical. And um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess I probably develop a bit more subtlety. Um, you know, uh, at the same time as perhaps not always having as much energy <laughs> More <laughs> as between in, the lines in my youth. Also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but, yeah um, sure. you know, well, of still course, enough that's... enough energy derived from you know the passion. I, I, I mean, I, I'm 61. I know what I'm talking about, and I, for my for my part, uh, my work is much less energetic than yours. But I couldn't I couldn't agree more in what you say about the subtlety uh, takes yeah. over some other yeah. levels where you had the energy first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you have a final word for our audience here? Hmm. Um, <laughs> That's always the trickiest question. I yeah, think. yeah, because it's it's so general. I mean, you know, exactly. I'm full well, of words, obviously, your, but the stage is yours. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. I don't know. I guess I've got so many words and ideas and 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 mm. um, feelings that it's hard to. Um, to choose yeah i guess um in terms of like actually talking to the people out there rather than just about myself because i've done enough of that tonight um i'd say just um i'd just like to encourage everyone to really follow their passion you know follow Mm. their and follow their creative impetus and their inspiration um you know often people are, are, are caught up in 
you know, the things they have to do or they think they have to do, their obligations, um, practicalities, and they're like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do this thing I want to do or that I feel because I have to do this or because I can't do that and blah, blah, blah. And um, I sort of feel like that's that's often just the surface of things. And, I mean, it, it's it's not like it's always just excuses. I mean, obviously people do have obligations and practicalities they have to consider, but I think, um, you know, we can find, way, find ways around there. And I think when we really find our passions and do what we're meant to do and what we really want to do, and I guess it's a, a case of true will in a way as well, um, that then the other things do fall into place, that we find a flow. And, uh, yeah, if we do what we really feel, then uh, we find that. So, yeah, I just encourage people to, to follow their, their creative passions as, as much as they can. I think that's a, a great final word. Nothing to add to that. Great. Thanks, Oriel. Thanks for your time. Great to have you finally here on the show. And good luck for all your projects. Good health for your recovery. And, um, well, all the best to you. Thanks very much. It's been um, it's been a pleasure to talk, and um, yeah, I, I really enjoy your sort of calm, measured approach to to interviews, and it sort of allows a a sort of gradual, deep unfolding. And um, yeah, it's been great. Well, and um, thanks for thanks for having me again. Thanks for that. Bye now. Farewell.
Dance of the New Flesh, an excerpt from the film music, ambient music, background music, main part of the video movie, Xolviet Coagula. Well, you go and see the video and you'll decide what the music is, what part it plays in the general artwork that that film is. In any case, it was performed like the whole movie and produced and written by our guest today, Oriel de Fenestrade Bascule. I think it was quite a fascinating talk that we had together. And um, well, if you have the occasion and if you happen to be around Belgium, uh, if you have the occasion to go to one of those two performances that he's going to have soon and which we were talking about, do that. It is quite something to experience. Right, well, that is the end of our show today. I thank you all for coming over again and listening to us. Thank you for returning next week as well. Of course, you want to know what's going on next week. And here we are next week, October 31st, Halloween. <laughs> First was thinking about special Halloween, but no, I then thought I'd just do my show, my ordinary show. That's what you guys like. And you might have more time on Halloween to listen to it a bit. Okay, it will be, my guest will be Joshua Gagba, also known, maybe even better known as Frater Rufus Opus. And he will be my guest and we'll talk about his magic, his way of seeing things within Hermeticism and the magical world. And um, very looking, very much looking forward to present you the interview which I recorded with him next week. Okay, so for the time being, um, I hope you had a good past week, and I hope the coming week will be at least as good, or maybe even better. Most importantly, stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, in that crazy world we all live in, keep your minds together and make peace. And for today, before I tell you the usual thing, I say, looks, I think we all need it. Take care. Stay tuned. Hear you soon.